while police photographing our license plate. What are we doing for veterans returning home damaged physically and mentally, suffering from depression, homelessness, and suicide? Why did the Supreme Court deposit corporate money into our electoral process? Should we redefine middle class as working poor? Or is it just another Wall Street merger? What's really behind new voter picture ID laws in certain states? Why aren't NBC, ABC, CBS, and Fox asking these questions? Welcome to the Reasonable Voice radio show. I'm your host, Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice. The mission of the Reasonable Voice is to connect the dots between politics and finance, the need for better and more affordable education, our humanity, world peace, and, of course, the arts, which we then gladly provide our listeners, the voting public, as informative food for thought to provoke their self-determination and appetite for equal economic opportunity and justice for all without truth decay. The Reasonable Voices are advocates prioritizing education, preserving our history, leading by example for a peaceful and prosperous world by evoking and embracing both creative artists and political unity as solutions to our challenges. Good afternoon. This is Marcello Rolando, your host of the Reasonable Voices talk radio show, uh, as always, when I have a guest on that is involved in film and theater, I'm especially pleased. I think that's a great way, film, theater, documentaries, to uh, really get at the truth about life, to tell you the truth. My guest today is Lucas Nierverbrugge. Our, um, Beautiful. Thank you, and welcome. As Beautiful. <laughs> and Lucas, how are you today? I'm doing well, thank you. Thank you for so much for being on the show. I may not be Thanks courageous. And I, you're most welcome, and uh, I may not be courageous enough to try your last name more than once more. But uh, but it's a beautiful name, <laughs> and there you are. Uh, Lucas, by the way, plays Dean in the film Lazy Eye, and I got to tell you, I love the title because, of course, I have some idea. Uh, of how magnificent a title that is because I have the privilege of uh, seeing the trailer and so forth. But Lazy Eye will uh, be released theatrically in North America in November 2016, very soon. And uh, uh-huh. Lu- Lucas plays Dean, as I said. He's a graphic designer in Los Angeles who reconnects with Alex, played by Aaron Costaganis, an uh-huh. ex-boyfriend he hasn't seen or heard from in 15 years. However, this is no simple weekend in the country, is it, Lucas? Uh, no, it's not. It's uh, a pretty loaded weekend, actually. Um, as you might imagine, when you're reconnecting with someone who you haven't seen in a while. Exactly, exactly. Especially with whom you've had a special relationship. Let's put it that way. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. That adds uh, a whole new layer of, of complication. Ex- and I don't want to, I especially don't want to give away, unless you want to, the twist. Th- the twist of the title. There are plenty of twists in the <clears throat> film, but the title itself, um, I think, obviously, intentionally, uh, knowing some of the work of um, the director here, and who is Tim Kirkman, by the way, who's written, uh-huh. written and directed by... Uh, uh, Emmy, Gotham, Glad, and Independent Spirit Award nominee, Tim Kirkman. Uh-huh. Uh, 
Uh, you might know him from Dear Jesse and Loggerheads and The Night Larry Kramer Kissed Me and a lot of good good work and, and uh, good history there. But do you want to say anything about the title? I don't want to put you on the spot. I have other questions. It's just I love the title. Well, I, I love the title too. Um, I mean, it doesn't give anything away exactly. me saying this, but you know, I, I think... I think the movie is a lot about um, how you see things as a, mm-hmm. as a metaphor, but also literally how you how you see your world. Yes. And um, I think that you know both of these characters, both my character, character I played Dean, and Alex, uh, the character that Aaron Costaganis plays, are both are both at a place in their lives where. They're grappling with what the what what their what they want their lives to be, what their lives have become, mm-hmm. um, and so we really meet people at a at a at a crossroads. Sure. Like that. Mm-hmm. And and how we how we interpret that, how we extrapolate it, how we see it is all part of what this movie is exploring. Sure. Why uh, another one of my favorite questions for you and this film? Uh-huh. Why isn't "Tell me what you want" a simple question? Uh-huh. <laughs> Do you think it's a simple question? Absolutely not. And I and I have to say one of the things that draws me to this film and um, made me happily anticipate this interview is that uh-huh. the dialogue is just uh-huh. so dead on. Um, and that's one of those memorable moments, I feel. Tell me what you want. It's a simple question. And response? <laughs> uh, the response is, it's, it's not a simple question. It's, I mean, I think, I think that Tim Kirkman, has, he wrote such a lovely script, and, mm-hmm. and the first time I read it, I, was, I, I knew it was a project that I wanted to be a part of, because mm-hmm. I feel like it really, it really captures these complicated moments in yes. a relationship. Yes. Um, I mean, tell me what you want. Uh, for me, Lucas is such a terrifying question just because I feel like I like to have all possibilities all the time. Mm. And the minute that I, I have to say exactly what it is that I want, I, I feel like I have to give something else up. But I, I, you know, I, I think that one of the things that 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 is that we're talking about in this film is getting to a point where you do kind of have to say, you know, what do I want my relationship to mm-hmm. be? What do I want my career to be? Yeah. And I think when you reach a certain age, this movie's about people in in their early forties who I think have hit a milestone moment where you go, okay, well, I'm not. I'm not in my 20s anymore, mm-hmm. and I'm actually not in my 30s anymore, right. and I've made certain choices, and I've gone down certain paths, and I've built a career, or I've, I've, I've set my life up in a way that looks a certain way, and I think, you know, age does this, sometimes big changes in life do this, but you reach these moments where you look back and take stock of everything, and sometimes it's not totally what you imagined it would be exactly. and um that can be really scary and it can be really uh it can it can cause crisis in your life um so tell me what you want is like to me i think is that's like
like a, a really dangerous question mm-hmm. um, for someone who is going through that and trying to figure out what they want. And, the, and, and in the movie, without giving it away, in the movie, the answer is 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 very very complicated. Yes. <laughs> Indeed, it is. You know, we we've been sort of programmed too, especially as Americans, we've been programmed to believe that certain ages, you know, you turn 40, you turn 50, you turn 65, whatever, um, yeah. is supposed to um, bring with it a certain reality. And as you said, yeah. as you say, as Lucas, as well as as Dean, those realities are really, uh, uh, you know, preconceived uh, by someone, you know, we don't even know, the people who decide right. <laughs> and put it in a book somewhere or poetry or whatever. What are your thoughts? Right. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I agree. And I, I think that's really well put. I, I, think, I think it's really dangerous to get to start looking at things in terms of hitting milestones that mm-hmm. are, are societal or cultural milestones because mm-hmm. suddenly you you can start feeling like you're not measuring up to some standard yes. which you know is a dangerous is a dangerous thing because you got to say well whose whose standard am I trying to live up to exactly what is, what is that idea and is that actually something that brings me happiness or enjoy or is that something that just um is kind of a uh, like a low-lying stress about keeping up with the joneses but Mm -hmm. isn't actually anything i want to do so yeah i mean i I think that that's that's the trap that we all fall into the shoulds and those those timelines that exist out there for we've all kind of agreed that those are the kind of things you're supposed to you know all the markers you're supposed to hit along the way you know you have by a certain age you have a house by a certain age you're married by a certain age you're you know you have a kid and, mm-hmm. and um you start feeling bad if that's not happening i right right now i'm i'm like one of the few i have a friend group here in los angeles and i'm the only one who doesn't have a kid right now uh-huh. and it hit me it hit me the other day i was like oh wow i'm the only I'm the only one of us who now who doesn't um, who isn't supporting a child. Yes. But you know, it's, 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 it's those those moments are are can be very revelatory, and and you know you have to you have to answer the question. It's like, okay, well, do I want to have a kid? Do I want to? Do I want to be married, or what? What do I want that to actually look like? Because it can look like so many things, and people actually find so many different versions of that. That's what's always interesting to me. Mm-hmm. You have this idea that it all is kind of supposed to look a certain way, and marriage kind of works a certain way. But you get in, you start, you start exploring people's relationships, and people have very creative solutions for relationships and it often does is doesn't work it's not as status quo sometimes as as it as it looks from the outside Mm -hmm. and i think i i don't know um what you where you might have been going with what you said but i i would like to say there are clearly subtle differences on what those uh expected moments are chronologically, depending on gender, sex, race, yeah. uh, sexual preference. I mean, it's just... Uh, exact. And so 
I think 40 was easier for me because I had my <laughs> crash, if you will, when I was 25. I, I, 25 years old, I didn't, I'd forgotten. I was busy. I, I'm busy working, I'm happy to say. Um, I'd forgotten it was my birthday and uh, I get this call wishing me a happy birthday and I suddenly realized I was a quarter of a century old and I'd done nothing with my life. I really had a traumatic moment and friends came over. They had oh, they had done all kinds of things. Suddenly an impromptu party and they told me, each of them, maybe a half a dozen or more, how I had affected their life. And suddenly I realized, wow, I'd been gauging, of course, being a quarter of a century and by how much I'd money I'd made and how much work I'd done and here these people's lives had changed. So it made 40 a little easier for me is the point. But... Back well, to uh, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Back to lazy eyes. Cinematographer, for instance, uh, is the Emmy Award-winning Gabe Mahan, and yeah. uh, I, I wanted to mention that now and ask you because I I've only seen the trailer, but it is yeah. it is beautifully shot and beautiful. Yeah, and I guess we should say it's a weekend. We should mention it's a weekend at a vacation house in the desert. But that isn't the... exactly. So mm -hmm. tell us about um, the location shooting and about. I guess uh, how do you deal with being ninety nine percent of the film? <laughs> yeah, well, I'm I'm really glad you brought up Gabe because he really did such amazing things with the desert in this film. I mean, it's beautiful. Um, mm -hmm. It's beautifully, beautifully shot. The cinematography is just gorgeous yes um and of course the desert uh about three hours outside of los angeles and you're in it it's almost seems like a lunar landscape out there mm. it's really a spectacular place to be and uh and so that that was that in itself was just an, an incredible experience and kind of added a whole it's like a whole character in the movie yes um the desert and this this landscape and this town that um, we shot in has a lot of history to it, and there's, uh, it, it keeps popping up in the in the film in fun ways. Mm -hmm. um, um, what was the other part of that question? The other was question was you. Oh no! What I oh, yeah yeah yeah. Um, I I also want to say that this movie was shot in twelve days. Wow. Um, which is. If you've ever made a film before, that's like really, really fast. Yes. <laughs> and um, we shot most of those days in the desert, and then we shot a few days back in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. um, so we were. It was. It was a very fast shoot, but um, it's a real testament to the, the producers, Todd Shots, our, our producer, and and Tim and Gabe, that. Um, and everyone involved in the crew that it was so smooth and I don't know how they did it, but they really created a, an environment that felt very collaborative and also ran really efficiently. So those guys were some serious magic and allowed this to be a very organic mm -hmm. process, um, which for me and for Aaron, uh, Costa Ganis, I think, I think that was, um, I can't speak for him, but I, I know that for me that was a really uh, welcome environment to come into mm -hmm. um, because my background is in the theater. I've done a lot of theater mostly in, in New York, and so this is the biggest film 
role that I've um, ever had, and it was a real challenge in a lot of ways. Um, but one of the most one of the most challenging parts of it was was finding the process that is different for film than it is for theater. Yes. Um, and when things move so quickly, and you don't have three weeks of rehearsal to go and try things and kind of, you know, collaborate on, on what these moments are and, and develop things in a room together. You kind mm-hmm. of have to work much quicker in front of the camera and you, you know, we would do three takes and then we'd move on. <laughs> um, so that was, that was really, that was like a real, that, that was a real challenge, but it, it was made easier by the fact that there was a great sense of collaboration on set. Mm-hmm. And um, we did, luckily we did get um, about two, a week and a half of rehearsal, two weeks of rehearsal, uh, the three of us, Tim and Aaron and I, before mm-hmm. we started shooting. So we were, we were able to plant some seeds in the development process that, mm-hmm. you know, then we had, we could, we could refer back to conversations we had had and, scenes that we had kind of fussed with um, while we were shooting and had like a shorthand to move forward during the shoot, which was nice. It was a real interesting experience working that way because you kind of have to get out of your own way. There isn't a whole lot of time to sit and mull things over. And and for me, my, my goal as an actor in that situation, just to keep myself from becoming totally overwhelmed with the the weight of the thing and with being in almost every shot and not really having time to go off and do my own thing mm-hmm. just to be present I, I said okay well if I can just be present and remember that like this is a human being mm-hmm. and the situation which was so relatable to me which made it easier the situation is 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 real and and myself over to that and that that just became my goal every every mm-hmm. take was to just invest in the situation and not overthink it <laughs> and, <laughs> and try to and try to speak like a human being yes um and it was great i mean it was a great uh, it, just a completely invaluable experience to mm-hmm. do that um because sometimes when you are given those constraints is and you can't overthink something, mm-hmm. it actually allows you to get to something very simple and basic. Mm-hmm. And so Aaron and I just, I, I, I think we just were, we're trying to just talk to each other. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> and really, really talk through this very real situation and, and, and see where that led us. And, uh, it took a lot of trust mm-hmm. in Tim. I think Tim had to trust us a lot and we had to trust him and we, we did. I mean, we, we found a way to, to um, to really go there with each other and be open to to how how things were going to shift throughout the course of the shoot. Excellent. We're going to go to break soon. I want to remind everyone we're talking about Lazy Eye, the film that's going to be re- released uh, uh, theatrically in November, twenty sixteen. I'm talking with its star, uh, who plays Dean, Lucas Nieverbrugge. And I, well, you know, I tried so hard. I had to try. I had to try say it one more time at least. But uh, okay. uh, thank you for being patient with me, Lucas. And Lucas plays Dean in Lazy Eye. 
with Aaron Costa Gannis as well, playing Alex. And we're going to talk more about his transition from theater to film, as that's a transition I've been through, mostly from theater to soap operas. But as you talk about uh, not having much opportunity to overthink it, I want to talk about that a little more and remind that my original question was, and, and you got to it, uh, uh, Lucas, that how, what's it like being 99% of the film? We'll talk about that and other things when we come back in our next segment with Lucas. And, of course, Lazy Eye was directed by Tim Kirkman. We'll be right back. Stay with us. Another film rental discovery. Welcome to the Indie Film Minute. The world fell in love with dolphins when Flipper was such a TV star in the 1960s. Intelligent creatures, and look, he'll pull you through the waves if you hang on his fin. Charming, and ultimately deadly to the world's dolphin population. Rick O'Berry was Flipper's trainer. He eventually came to believe that interference with these intelligent creatures was unacceptable. In 2007, he led a group of environmental activists on a dangerous mission to infiltrate a secret cove near Taiji in Japan, site of an annual dolphin slaughter. Using underwater cameras and microphones, the crew was constantly threatened by guards determined to keep the slaughter a secret. An annual dolphin migration is the target of the Taiji fishermen who herd them into the cove, where they are trapped and brutally slaughtered, saving only a few for sale to aquariums and tourist dolphin swims. The cove turns red with the blood of thousands of marine mammals. The air is filled with their screams. The cove horrified audiences around the world, but the needless slaughter continues despite the efforts of Oberi and thousands of others to stop it. Think that swimming with captured dolphins is a harmless way to enjoy nature? Think again. Indie Film Minute. Not in theaters. Discovery through rental. Welcome back to the Reasonable Voices Talk Radio Show. My guest today is Lucas Nierverbrugge. And, uh, yeah, and Lucas plays Dean, who is a graphic designer in Los Angeles who reconnects with Alex, played by Aaron Costaganis, uh, an ex-boyfriend he hasn't seen or heard from in 15 years. However, as I said before, this is not a simple weekend in the country. There are many layers. And although Lucas was sharing um, how there wasn't time to overthink it, nonetheless, the story is full of subplot and layers and in-depth performances. Directed by Tim Kirkman, and also mentioning the cinematographer again, Emmy Award-winning Gabe Mahan, because the, the visuals are magnificent. So, Lucas, we're back, and I, I just wanted to revisit. I know we talked, you, you hit it, uh, the, uh, what is it like to be 99% of the film, but part of that also yeah. is that you play an older and younger version of you, yes? Yeah, yeah. Tell us about um, that. that was, yeah, uh, it, was, it was a great challenge. Um, I mean, as an actor, I, I think that that's one of the, the great things that we get to do is mm -hmm. uh is explore you know future past versions of ourselves um, in some way and uh that was that was a great thing in the script was that 
you have seen that happened uh, like 15 years ago mm-hmm. and seen um, and uh, well I, I, sh- I should say that I Tim Roe characters who exist in their 40s and then in their 20s yes so so he made a decision to instead of casting two different actors mm-hmm. for each character for and it's always, I always find that a little bit there's always a it's a suspension of disbelief you have to make when yes. you see someone else playing the same character you know mm-hmm. ten years before or something mm-hmm. so he, he said well, I want to find two char- two actors who can play both ages believably wow. um, so so Aaron and I are both in our thirties um, and they aged us up with a little bit of of makeup mm-hmm. um, and our acting to be uh, in our forties and then us down to be in our 20s which was a lot of fun yes so we got we got to have scenes of uh in our flashbacks where we are you know in a stage of first meeting each other and first love and very kind of exciting energy and um and then and then the, the bulk of the movie happens where we're where we are in our 40s and, and dealing with what the past was and mm-hmm. what it means to us now. So that was great. I mean, I, I, I personally love that, those kind of opportunities to say, okay, well, what does it mean to be in your 40s versus mm. being in your 30s? Like, what, what, what is that headspace? And we, kind of what we were talking about earlier, a lot of that also has to do with the pressure you put on yourself and the expectations that we all have for ourselves be it our own personal goals or what we believe society expects us to be doing at a certain age mm-hmm. um, and what that does to our our um, our choices I think I think uh, I, I was, I'm very interested in 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 what it means to be looking at your your work as an artist as you get older mm-hmm. uh, in terms of how you've shaped a career in the arts and and Dean is a graphic designer and he is someone who I think had a specific idea of the way that his his art um, was going to manifest itself mm-hmm. and there's an interesting part of this film which is the conversation about you know what happens when your career, a career in the arts ends up not being either as romantic as you thought it was going to be or mm. when you have to make decisions that are based on paying the rent versus mm. doing work that is purely feeds your artistic soul and really says something. Mm-hmm. And that's something I struggle with all the time, trying to find projects that, A, just keep me working, yes. but also projects that that feed me, that make me feel like I'm actually contributing to the, the conversation in our world mm-hmm. and that uh, I'm saying something relevant and that um, I'm saying something that I actually believe in and that I'm mm-hmm. passionate about. And I think it's a constant balancing act that we all perform as artists to find how you do both things. Because if you just do it for the money and you're never really aligned with what is being said in mm-hmm. the work that you're doing but you're getting paid a lot I think that can be really depressing yes and I think that you you can find that 
you, I know people have, who have done that for a long time, and then all of a sudden it's like they, the, the clouds clear and they go, holy moly, like, what am I doing? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm like, I feel like I've been doing my art, but I, you know, I'm actually, I'm, I'm so disconnected from the actual work. Mm. And I think that's a scary thing. If you consider yourself an artist, I think that that can be a scary a scary moment when you when you're not in tune with the work mm-hmm. that you're doing. And you know, with, with that in mind, lazy eye is uh, people might think they know what it's about before they go. But I think it has a uh, well. Let's put it this way: uh, years ago, when I lived in New York, I was rehearsing in uh, uh, Manhattan Theater. And um, in the same theater, Terrence McNally was rehearsing Love, Valor, Compassion before it opened off Broadway and, you know, then went on to Broadway. And because I was there and around and, you know, bumping into people in the hallway, et cetera, I got invited to the opening and I, I mentioned it to a, a lady friend of mine who was ecstatic about going. And I thought, oh, okay, well, I, you know, I didn't think it was going to be my cup of tea, but it was a play that... Within 30 seconds, I realized that I didn't know at all what to expect and that this was real, it was universal. But I think Lazy Eye goes even further. It doesn't just erase stereotypes. I mean, it does that, but it, it really gets to the core of why, like you say, what, what, why do we do what we do? Why do we, whether as an artist or as a human being, how, if, if I'm anywhere close to the target there for a question, how do you feel about that? How did, the issue yeah. was not, I guess I'm trying to say, the issue was not sexual preference. The issue no. was, go ahead, you tell us. Yeah, no, I think you're, I think you, you're, you're, you're right on about that. I, and that's, I, I love that about this film. And mm-hmm. that's, that's part of what drew me to this film to begin with was that you know it the the characters in the film are both gay mm-hmm. but it's not a story about that exactly. that is not that is not what it's about it's about two human beings and it's a very universal story and it's about life stuff i mean it's 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 about grappling with big life stuff mm-hmm. and and within that it kind of is about everything yes. in a way I mean yes. it, it may sound very pretentious but but it, it it's about like existence and I think that that's a, a nice place to me I'm excited about arriving there in terms of the stories that we tell mm-hmm. in terms of in terms of how we see gay characters portrayed in in the media and trans characters portrayed in the media mm-hmm. and the whole LGBT community is just part of our fabric as a society and there are so many different stories within that and some of them do have to do with finding that identity and and others have to do with just telling good stories mm-hmm. and I think that it's really nice to to, to see those stories where the main focus isn't about finding your sexuality but mm-hmm. someone's sexuality is just a part of the texture of the film yes as much as you know you watch a, a movie about a heterosexual couple 
And it doesn't have to be about whether they're straight or gay. That just kind of factors in and becomes part of the overall story. Mm-hmm. So that I'm, I'm very excited by that, and I'm glad that you brought it up because I think that that's something that is special about this movie. Well, I have to say, again, in watching the trailer, beautifully shot, performed, and my my feeling immediately was, oh my God, this is this this is what all of us have to go through something like this in our life, and mm-hmm. how we come out on the other side, whether it's together or not, um, mm-hmm. is 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 a left a life lesson. And is a uh, is a part of life that everyone is affected by at some point or another, and it really uh-huh. has very little to do. I mean, it could, as you say, it it could be about one's sexual orientation or political leanings or you know sure. um, secret history or whatever. But it, it it really lazy eye is about two people recapturing something to be sure. But uh-huh. it's it's even more than that. T- t- tell tell us about that. I mean, it goes beyond. I haven't seen you in a long time. What have you been up to? It, yeah, I mean, it, it kind of it actually jumps right into the thick of it. Yes. As I feel like those relationships happen that way. Mm-hmm. That that when you reconnect with someone that you had a powerful uh, or meaningful connection with you sometimes skip past a lot of the mm-hmm. <laughs> the uh, superficialities of reconnecting and yes. jump right into kind of where you left off exactly. which can also be really confusing I mean I, I reconnected with someone that was was I was just totally in love with in high school mm-hmm. and this is like 15 years later I'm talking about my real life mm-hmm. and we 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 ran into each other again and it was so loaded for me in a way that was totally unexpected and you know you're kind of playing this parallel narrative of being an adolescent and this kind of hormonal like all my memories of this person were just drenched in hormones mm-hmm. and <laughs> I, it was part of me that's like I'm so thankful that I can I, I can see things in a I think a clearer way now but mm-hmm. like my memories at that time are really are are so vivid and really like stamped on me because yes. it had it happened at a certain time in my life and because it was like the first time that I was going through all that stuff and that I mean memories are real can be a real bitch. <laughs> 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 honestly, I, I think that that it can get you into a lot of trouble because. You sit with your memories, and I think they change over time, and they get cast in a certain way over time, and you begin to attach to them over and over again as you change. Mm -hmm. But you're attaching to something that happened a long time ago, and that happened under a certain context. And it can be dangerous to... I think think it it can be dangerous territory to revisit those memories without having a certain amount of context to it. Sure. And, and you know, that that gets back to Lazy Eye, too, because the two ca- characters, Dean, who you play, and Alex, uh, that Aaron plays, yeah. they also have, it, it may not be the, the crux of the film, but there is at least a moment where they uh, admit to one another or realize they don't have the same memory 
of no exactly tell us no <laughs> they, they they remember the same experience in completely different ways yes. it happens over and over again and i think that that's really i think that that's so true to my experience mm -hmm. that it's true that, life you know you you can be reminiscing with someone and you were both there you both, yeah <laughs> you both experienced the exact same event together and yet your your recollection of it can be two completely different stories mm. um so i don't know I, there's a lesson in there somewhere maybe about take it with a grain of salt or yes. a salt relative or something but um but yeah that's a big part of of the film for sure and i i want to mention just a, a personal story um i met uh, i was am still uh best friends of a a guy who uh, who has been happily married since I met him practically, and and I same way. But we hadn't seen each other in um, oh a decade. He I went to New York, he went to California, and we met again in D.C. after maybe ten or fifteen years, and the conversation started as though we had just talked on the telephone the day before. And, yeah. and that, in many ways, uh, despite the recollection differences between uh, Alex and Dean, in many ways, that's what Lazy Eye shows us, yes? Yes, absolutely. That's a, that's a big theme in the movie. Just like it never, there never was an interruption. It's just a continuation of the conversation. And yet you're 20 years older or 15 years older at least, yes? Yeah, 15 years later, uh, you know, and... and... And your 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 life has gone in in other in opposite directions. Mm, mm -hmm. I think I think that there's always I think that there's always a sense in those moments of playing out of of going into the fantasy. Yes. And of playing out the fantasy of well, what would have happened? Yes. If, yes. Would I be happier if I had just stayed with this person? Mm -hmm. And that's like a that's like a dangerous place to go with relationships because there was a reason you got out of there in the first place. Yes, um, <laughs> which um, we sometimes forget, you know, right? <laughs> yeah, um, and and there's you know it's a little bit more complicated in the film, and yes. I won't give it away because. Yes. Their their relationship has it, it has a, a, a nuanced twist to it, mm -hmm. but um, but yeah, I think I I I think it can be uh, it can set off a lot of different signals when you when mm -hmm. you reconnect with someone like that. Exactly. Well, let's let's remind people, especially if we haven't mentioned. Uh, uh, Lazy Eye will premiere in New York at uh, New Fest and has also been in Frameline, Providence Town International Film Festival. It will be released theatrically in November 2016. November 11th. November 11th. In New York and LA. Uh, very and then, good. Uh, will be available online November 15th at uh, Video on Demand, Amazon, and iTunes. Very and good. That, all that good stuff. Thank you, Lucas, for throwing that in. Yeah, um, thank you. And yeah, <laughs> and it is uh, written and directed by Emmy Gotham Glad and Independent Spirit Award nominee Tim Kirkman. 
uh, who you may remember was his work of Dear Jesse and Loggerheads, The Night Larry Kramer Kissed Me. So we've been talking with the star of Lazy Eye, uh, Lucas Nierverbrugge, uh, who plays, I know, I'm so pleased with myself. <laughs> I, know, I feel like I, I want to give you an award every time you say that so, so well. It's really well, impressive. you know, I was under a little pressure. I put myself under pressure about it, uh, uh, Lucas, because my name, I don't think, is as complicated, especially if you see it spelled, it's Marcello Rolando, and people really uh, butcher it, and I said, well, doggone it, I'm not going to do this to Lucas. Lucas, <laughs> it, it has been an exceptional conversation about Lazy Eye uh, and uh, all the great work of uh, cinematographer Emmy Award-winning Gabe Mayen and director-writer Tim Kirkman, and your performances uh, with um, uh, Aaron Costaganis and you, Lucas. So um, I, I truly recommend Lazy Eye. Don't say that about everything. It is a movie about people, the universal arc that we must all travel. Is there any other uh, contact information or Facebook information that you want to give us, Lucas, about how we can find you guys so we can get tickets or... Just anything you want to say. Yeah, um, well, you can check out uh, the website, which I believe is lazyeyemovie.com. Okay. Um, and there's all kinds of information on there. You can watch our trailer there as well. And um, look out for us in theaters in New York and Los Angeles, November 11th. And find us on Video On Demand on November 15th. Oh, wow. And uh, check out, check out our, our, our film. Excellent. And thank you so much. Thank you, Marcello Rolando, oh. for, for having me on. <laughs> I know why you said my pleasure. full name. It's been a pleasure talking to you, too. <laughs> All the best. Yeah. Truly, Lucas. It's been fa fabulous. Too. Bye now. Okay, take care. You Bye. too. Bye. Stay with us as we'll be right back with a final comment from The Reasonable Voice. Another film rental discovery. Welcome to the Indie Film Minute. Back in 2005, Hustle and Flow hit the Sundance Film Festival and exploded into that year's must-see film in the mountains of Utah. However, the story unfolds a million miles away from that idle setting in the tough inner city of Memphis, Tennessee. But this is no shallow ghetto story. Yes, its central character is a pimp, but from the opening frame, we know that DJ, played with depth and nuance by Terrence Howard, has an intellectual core. We can't help but believe that, born in a different environment, he would have found success in any number of respectable fields. But in his real world, he must choose from the avenues available to him. And he must dream the impossible dream, a ticket out through his art. Fortunately, DJ has the magic to inspire a disparate group of friends to join in pursuing his dream to create a rap anthem. Will DJ, with a bunch of whores singing back up, a quirky white boy with recording skills, and a church-going family man ultimately succeed? Hustle and Flow is a gripping film about the American dream, full of complexity and a richness of vision that will burn its story and its song into that special corner where we hold the films we love. Hustle and Flow, not in theaters, discovery through rental. 
Hello, I'm Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice, thanking you for joining us and becoming one of the reasonable voices heard round the world. In the good old days before Hillary's emails, the terrorists against democracy's liberty and justice for all aren't ignoring the writing on the wall. They've just been quietly switching walls, from coal ash mountain topping to falling oil prices, fracking water to cracking gas pipelines, ramrodding Dakota protesters to corporate private prison collaborations. The Alec G's stands alone, almost. Perhaps numbed by law and order Nixon, war on drugs Reagan, tough on crime Bush Sr., Three strikes and you're out, Clinton. We've evolved to the lawlessness and disorder of political rallies inciting violence against differences of opinion. Truth is, we're in a time warped by Jim Crow reruns. Super predators don't dwell in a trumped ghetto, but are money changers bankrupting our future while undecided pendulums reactively swing rather than voting for choice. Wells Fargo, militarized police, war on women, Native Americans, and LGBTQ communities are individual choices. No one has to be a conservative woman for a misogynistic president. We can choose to shine our rocket's red glare to save the abused spouse, raped neighbor, kidnapped child, and the missing missing of the killing season. Conservatives simultaneously running from and with an ALEC, transitioning, choosing to minimize expenses incurred rooming and boarding up minorities, and taking its show on the road with GPS monitoring anklets. So, believing corporate media deflecting hasn't infected social media anonymity, we get bought and sold unaware we've been flogged into isolationism. But... If baby boomers embrace Generation X texting to millennials on Instagram, we might hold the line. November 8th, 2016. Just imagine baby boomers and millennials centered by Generation X. What couldn't we do to end the herding of our better selves by alt-right trolls self-perpetuating a distorted nightmare of our American dream with do-over pale-face extremes? Whether united we stand or stronger together, America is at its greatest when Americans stand together for community, committed to civility, neighborhoods of every color, and a multicultural world determined to save the earth and all life upon it. The better choice? Showing up decisively for harmonious dissolving derision, knowing there is no security, independence, nor greatness in divorcing the good fight, reneging on the promise of Lady Liberty, or pretending our individual lives are the only life experience for all of we the people. We don't have to submit to the inheritance from those who tarnish the very ideal of exceptionalism, which is being special not superior. Our real power on earth is gathering together for peace and harmony, regardless of skin color, heritage, gender, sexual preference, or political persuasion. However, truth itself can dissipate in the creation of discriminatory labels that taint all of us with lies of convenience told by the few, but once accepted, redefining the core of too many.
Painful truth. Our Constitution allows slavery in the form of mass incarceration, gender inequality, and the income disparity of prison labor on the public tab benefiting private enterprise. Unlike 1930s Europe, we needn't goose step behind the loudest and latest voices. We have the power to make candidates follow our lead for what the elected crave even more than Supremes guaranteeing Citizens United is our vote. Imagine escaping bottom-line marketing labels, factory farms, and Lee Atwater's campaign code words cueing conservatives for Nixon and Reagan racial discrimination, Clinton's SWAT police forces, Bush-Cheney black sites, and Guantanamo torturing our souls into GOP's birther Tea Party bigots, and their dawn. Russian hackers, computer technology, and greed are not waiting, only transitioning, while we're still busy arguing over emails and which came first, trumped conservative chickens or the egg laid by the FBI. We can make prisons to go, with Jerry Watson's American Bail Coalition, and block the vote with Paul Weyrich, going right back to the good old days of Donald Trump. Or we can vote out of many... One, the truth that sets us free stings. Not all of us want equality and justice for all, but Lincoln's new birth of freedom affirms voting of, by, and for all the people is both individual privilege and national responsibility, if we can keep it. Join us. Become one of the reasonable voices heard round the world. Thank you. Thank you for continuing to listen to, support, and share the Reasonable Voice Blog Talk Radio with family and friends, especially online. We enjoy hearing from you, and in response, yes, we are now accepting new company and business advertisers and welcoming organizations seeking to be one of our sponsors. So please do continue to email us at thereasonablevoice at gmail.com. However, if you prefer to simply make a donation, your donations are greatly appreciated and can be made through PayPal by clicking on the donate button found at the top of the homepage of the Reasonable Voice. Website. Thank you for joining us today to make every day as reasonable as possible. We hope you will download and share our downloadable podcasts. I'm Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice, hoping you will become one of the reasonable voices heard round the world. Round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.